Father, this evening, we ask for hearts that are able to see and believe this truth that you said in our gospel reading. You are a Father who sees us, and your hands are open to give. We give you thanks and praise for that. Amen. So, I, Tori's not going to like this, but I want to tell you all something embarrassing about Tori's husband, Michael, who's perhaps below embarrassment at this point. Michael, you can get to do anything if you just say, Michael, I'll time you, and then grab for your watch really fast. Michael's a fast guy. He wants you to know it. He wants you to see it. This need to be seen is something that Jesus addresses in our gospel passage. This may be the worst sermon introduction you've ever heard. You didn't know you were giving up good preaching for Lent. I'm sorry. So Jesus, in our gospel passage, is talking about righteousness, right? Not feats of athleticism like Michael's. Jesus, in that passage, looks at how people go about doing righteousness in two different ways. So there's one way of doing it that's done before people. It's performative righteousness. The word in there is almost like righteousness on a theater. It's meant to be seen. Well, Jesus says when people do that, they receive their reward. He doesn't mean real reward. They get what they deserve from that, the fickle approval of others, if they were even able to manage that. But then there's righteousness that's done in secret, that's done where only God can see it. And that's the righteousness that receives a true reward from God. The clear sense that Jesus gives us is that this righteousness, this giving, this praying, this fasting that's done before God is much better. As Jesus says, your father who sees in secret or who is in secret will reward you. And so out of those examples that Jesus gives, giving, fasting, praying, the one that I found to be the most interesting this week is also perhaps the simplest. Your father who sees you pray in secret will reward you. It's difficult for me to say that that's my usual experience of prayer, and that's probably normal for a lot of us. A clear sense that this wildly generous God is near, even if I don't see him or hear him, that's a nearness that I struggle to, to sense or to experience. And so that got me thinking this week. What would it mean for me to actually believe and then live or give or pray as though that were true, as though that God, that generous God, sees me, even when I don't see him? What would it mean for the ways that I give my time or my resources or my attention if I truly believed that God saw that and that his hands were open to reward? That would transform how, how I approach him, what I give my attention to, what I prioritize. And so then that got me thinking this week about well, what's in the way? What's keeping me from that? And I wondered if maybe the biggest reason that I struggle to believe all the way down that God sees me in secret is that I've actually spent years or decades actually convincing myself that that's not true. And you might say, why in the world would anyone want to blind themselves to the fact 
or hide from the fact that the one who can satisfy all of our longings isn't anywhere near us? Why would we want to convince ourselves that that's not true, that he's not close? The answer is that oftentimes that's exactly how we like it. If we were rational creatures, we would say that that's utterly insane. To want to be hidden from the one who made us, who gives us life, and who alone can satisfy us. But we are not totally rational creatures, are we? We're sinful creatures. And sin is, at its root, irrational. Sin can only make sense if we train ourselves to believe the lie that God is not near, and that God doesn't see, and that God's hands aren't wide open to reward but also that he is not there to reward the things that don't deserve anything good either. So think about the times when your thoughts or your words or your choices would have been radically different if you actually believed that God was there and that he saw you and that he was going to reward what was good and reward what was bad. We want to act before God, I think, like there's a door that we can open and close. We want to hide behind it when the things that we want to do or the things that we want for ourselves are things that we don't want him to see. But then when we want something from him, when we want to be in his presence, when we want to be near him, we'd like to just be able to open that door and then walk right in. But ultimately, I think it's a door that we wish we had control of. The reality is that there is no such door. There's nothing between us and God that we can open and close. Instead, what we make for ourselves is more like calluses. It's more like a layer of hardening on our hearts. And it's something that we do to ourselves to desensitize our hearts to our own sin and to the reality that God actually sees our sin and sees it clearly. The flip side of that, though, is that those same calluses also impede our ability to actually receive his presence and the things that he would give us. So by pretending that God doesn't see our disobedience or that he won't reward it, we also deceive ourselves into believing that he doesn't see us now. He isn't ready to reward us generously. Even when we desperately want that, we cripple our own abilities to believe it. I think that's underneath a lot of our drive to play out before others what ought to just be played out before God, that righteous theater. Doing the things that we think count as big righteousness, maybe the things that other people see as big righteousness, um, examples like Jesus gives, giving, fasting, praying. But we're prone to do those things in place of offering those things to God that we would rather hide from him. This is a really live danger. Um, I remember in seminary, this is a live danger all the time. The reality that the more that you learn and then the more that you can say things nicely about God, the more credit for righteousness other people will give you. There are so many different ways that we can deceive the people around us into thinking that we have a kind of righteousness that maybe we don't have. There's so many ways that we can put righteousness on display so that we get the approval of others. And maybe even their own approval kind of helps us to believe the same thing about ourselves. The problem is that we can do all sorts of righteous-looking things without living before God as though he's near. We can do all sorts of righteous-looking things without opening our hands to receive what God would give or opening our hearts so that God can take away the things that we would rather hold on to. There are all sorts of ways that we can perform righteousness in front of others, maybe even in front of ourselves, 
but it's too easy to substitute that for the things that God would actually take from us, the things that we actually need to lose, the dark things that we would actually rather hide. And so how do we learn then to live in front of this father who sees in secret? I don't think it's an accident that the things that Jesus talks about in Matthew 6 are the things that become for us the classic Lenten practices. Giving, fasting, praying. So they're all things that ultimately can really only have value if they're done before our Father. They're also things that actually weaken our own strength, weaken our own resources, force us to depend on the one that we might rather want to hide from. It's also no accident that the prayer that Jesus gives, the one that we call the Lord's Prayer, is one that fits all of our life and all of our needs into this one ultimate thing, life before the Father. Jesus is telling us that if we do those things, and if we pray these things, but if we do them for no other reward and no other approval, but simply before the Father, if we do that, we'll be bending ourselves so that our lives actually match that shape of the life that God is calling us into. But even more than that, what we'll find is that the reward includes God then reshaping our heart, God removing the calluses on our hearts, God removing those obstacles, God expanding the interior of our hearts, unbending us so that we're no longer curved in on ourselves, but actually open to living before this generous God. We practice those things quietly before God. We'll find him ready and willing, I think, to tear down those walls that we build. You'll also find, and this is what I find to be the most exciting, that whatever glimpse of him you've had up to this point is going to come nowhere near what he actually has for you. So all of that might sound kind of sad and discouraging and maybe even irritating, but I mean it as really good news. Whatever it is that you have seen as the blessings of God or the glory of God or the nearness of God, wherever you are there, what God actually has to offer you is more than you could ever possibly imagine. And it's way more than the little self-congratulatory pats on the back that we would give ourselves or the affirmations we would give from others. God is inviting us into something that is immeasurably better than the things that we turn to for approval or gratification or comfort or security. He's inviting us to lay those things down to receive his reward instead even if it's the God, or even if it's rewards that he only gives in secret. If you hear that, though, and you say, I don't know if I'm really terrified of the presence of God because I'm believing some lie about guilt or shame or his distance. I'm boxed out of his presence because I'm actually guilty, and I know it. He's holy, and I'm not. If that's where you are when you hear this, then I do want to point you to something that's really quietly whispered, kind of foreshadowed in Matthew 6. This Jesus, if you look at his life, his ministry throughout the Gospels, he knew better than anyone the full joy and satisfaction that flows out of full life in the presence of this generous father, the one who sees in secret. But this thing that we've known our whole lives because of our own guilt so this sense of separation or alienation from God is something that he didn't experience until, in his innocence, he experienced it for us. 
I think in a lot of ways that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus says at the end of Matthew on the cross is, in other words, where is my father who sees in secret? My father who sees in secret, where is he? And does he see me now? We know that his father didn't lose track of him. We know that Jesus didn't become a stench to his father because he carried our sin. Father never left him. Jesus never left this perfect union that he shared with his father, but he did still walk through that experience of God-forsakenness, that experience of separation from God. And I know it's Lent, so we're pretending like we don't know the end of the, of the story, but the spoiler is that his father saw him in secret all the way down into the tomb. And we know that because he raised him from the dead. And when he did that experience of separation, was broken into pieces, along with the power of sin and death. Your father who sees you in secret will reward you with the same reward that he gave to his son. New life in his presence. New freedom from the sin that you are ashamed of, that you want to hide from him. New righteousness that comes from Jesus' faithfulness and not from your righteousness theater. Lent is not a time when we try to become spiritual ninjas through sugar deprivation. It's a time that we lay down the things that we would otherwise hide behind. It's a time where we lay down the things that we would choose instead of him. It's a time when we lay down the things that distract ourselves from him so that instead we can learn how to hear his invitation and respond. Our Father says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Jesus has made a way for us to come to that table in the presence of this generous Father, the one who sees us in secret and who offers us more than we could ever imagine, the one who offers us more than we know how to receive. Maybe in a lot of ways, that's a good way for us to think about this season, learning how to receive the things that God gives, offering our hearts to the Lord so that he can actually carve out more space so that we can receive from his generosity. So may his spirit be at work in us all, peeling off those calluses where our hearts are hardened and enlarging our hearts so that we long for his presence, knowing that we have nothing to hide. Jesus has stood there for us. Amen.